Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast, where each week our goal is to simply get a better understanding of God's Word, the Bible. We hope you will get reading this amazing book and join us on this exciting journey. And now, here's your host, Pastor Mark Miner. Well, hello everyone. How's your day going today? I hope it's good. Mine's great. This is one of my favorite times of the week when I get in front of the microphone and share a few thoughts concerning the most amazing, incredible, life-changing book of all uh, called the Holy Bible. And today we're going to be looking at the book of Acts in this, the 101st episode of the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. I'm going to ask you a question if you've traveled a little bit. Have you ever been to the Continental Divide? If you've been on Interstate 70 traveling through the state of Colorado, the beautiful state of Colorado, and you've gone through the Eisenhower Tunnel, well, you have been at the Continental Divide. Actually, on top of the Eisenhower Tunnel is the Loveland Pass, 11,990 feet above sea level. And something amazing happens at the Continental Divide. The rain comes down, and if the rain falls on the west side of the Continental Divide, it's going to begin the journey, ultimately ending up in the Pacific Ocean. If, however, the rain just happens to fall on the east side of the Continental Divide, it's going to make its long and cumbersome journey, but eventually it will end up in the Atlantic Ocean. And the Continental Divide is the fulcrum, it's the apex, the high point, that determines which way something is going to go. Well, in the book of Acts, we have come to one of those continental divides concerning the Bible. If I can just give you a little bit of an illustration here as background before we get into the actual book of Acts. <clears throat> the Bible is set up with everything in the Old Testament looking forward. Looking forward or uphill, if you will, toward the Gospels, toward the coming of the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. Uh, we know him, the gospel presents him, the gospels present him as Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So everything in the Old Testament is looking forward to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those gospels. Then we cross that continental divide of the gospels and we come to the book of Acts, the next book, uh, book number five in the New Testament. But the book, book, the book of Acts begins the journey in a different direction, whereas in the Old Testament, everything is looking forward to the Christ. From the book of Acts on through the book of Revelation, the, the New Testament, the remaining New Testament, we are going to be looking backwards at the cross, explaining the life and the ministry and the work of Jesus. So the Old Testament is predicting the coming of the Messiah. The New Testament is looking back and explaining the fulfillment of the Messiah. So we're at a continental divide today because something is going to transition, something's going to change when we get to the book of Acts. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know that I like easy, approximate terms to just help you get the skeleton. This is not a deep dive for the scripture. This is simply to put it all together so that you can understand how it fits and on your own and through other teachers and leaders, you can add some flesh to the bone, so to speak. If you're a regular listener, though, you've heard me say many times that the Bible is set up like a funnel. The first 11 chapters are the large part, if you will, if you remember an hourglass or a funnel. It starts big, it comes down to a point. As the hourglass, it goes to, for a regular, for a small constricted period of time, and then it opens up large again, and that would be the hourglass. And that really is a good picture of the Bible. 
The first 2,000 years of the Bible are found in Genesis 1 through 11, from Adam and Eve to Abraham, 2,000 years of human history, and it's all about the world and the things that are going on in the world, culminating, I guess, with a worldwide flood, and then the beginning of the repopulation of the world. So Genesis 1 through 11, 2,000 years. But then we encounter Genesis 12. What happens in Genesis 12? God calls one man, one seed, one race or ethnicity, if you will, through which he promises from Abraham on that the Messiah is going to come. So through the lineage of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then the 12 children of Israel is going to come the Christ. Genesis 12 all the way to Acts chapter 2. All we are doing in the Bible with all the major prophets and minor prophets and the books of poetry, wisdom, history, all that, we're all talking or is talking around and about one man and his family, Abraham, ultimately culminating through his genealogy with the coming of the Christ. 2,000 years of history, a very constricted, if you will, uh, lineage because we're just looking at Abraham. But in Acts chapter 2, we encounter the bell or the large opening again. Because now, with the continental divide, with the apex, which is what the Gospels are, the fulcrum, if you will, um, upon which time teeters and totters, A-C-A-D and, and B-C, uh, is divided by the Gospels. So now, as we look at the book of Acts, starting really with Acts chapter 2, all of a sudden the, the Gospel and the uh, focus of the Bible is upon the entire world again. So we have 2,000 years from Genesis 1 to 11, then 2,000 years of history dealing specifically with the nation of Israel, the, the Jews, the Hebrew people, and then the Messiah who comes through that people dies, is buried, and is resurrected again from the dead, or is resurrected again from the dead. And now again, we begin to open up and look at the world, uh, and that is found in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost as the Holy Spirit comes and as God now sends his uh, disciples out to the entire world to carry the good news of what Jesus the Christ has done. So I hope that makes some sense to you and, and that's where we're at right now. We are at Acts, the book of Acts, and specifically starting with Acts chapter 1, the ascension of Jesus into heaven, and then Acts chapter 2, the pouring out of the Spirit, a unique never before experienced relationship because up till Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon people, but he never inhabited people. But in Acts chapter 2, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost as we often call it, uh, the Holy Spirit now comes to live within mankind. And the Bible tells us that uh, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that's the background on Acts chapter uh, on Acts, uh, starting with chapter one and chapter two. We're going to look at the entire book, of course, but these twenty-eight chapters are just packed with action and life, and no way we could cover them all. That's not our intention. But I want to give you a key phrase just to remember something about the book of Acts. It's sometimes called the Acts of the Disciples, sometimes called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to encourage you to remember it as the Acts of the Church. The Acts of the Church, because the church is birthed in Acts chapter 2. And from there on out, we are looking at this unique bride of Christ, as the scripture calls the church. 
We're going to talk about and look at what happens with the church, the organization of the church, the structure of the church, the uh, flaws as well as the victories of the church. But from now on, it is all about the church. So the book of Acts, if you want to remember one thing about it, I would remember the church. Now we're going to look at some key concepts here concerning the book of Acts, as we always do. Uh, let's start with the author of the book of Acts. I, I think you would know this, but just to remind you, uh, the author of the book of Acts is also one, the author of one of the Gospels. His name is Luke. And Luke uh, decides to write a Gospel to give an orderly account, he tells us, uh, to uh, study and investigate the Gospel of Jesus, the life of Jesus. He does so in his Gospel, Luke. And now he is writing a, a second uh, portion, if you will, and this is to investigate and to explain or to give to us to write about the acts of the church. Now, as we go through the book of Acts, there are so many amazing things that, that happen. Uh, I'll leave you to put the flesh on that bone, but I want to direct your attention because as we've had the continental divide in the Bible, uh, where uh, Acts chapter 2 opens up the gospel to the world, we also have a transition, a shift, if you will, in the book of Acts. And so I'm going to point your attention. You can just look it up sometime on your own, if you will. But Acts chapter 13 is a transition point. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so I'll lay a few other concepts based on this. But all the way up through Acts 1 through 12, uh, we're just talking about some of the early disciples, the early apostles. We encounter the apostle Paul, but he's adversarial to the church. We read about his salvation, his encounter with Jesus. But something happens in Acts 13 that is pivotal and transitional for world history as well as for the Bible. Because and I, as I'm going to read this verse to you out of Acts chapter 13 because it changes the whole emphasis and direction of the Bible and God's plan for man. Let me read Acts chapter 13 verse 2. And it says this, so this is about the church at Antioch, and some people were gathered for a prayer meeting, and here's what the scripture says. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, which is the Apostle Paul, by the way, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands upon Paul and Barnabas and sent them off. Now there's the verse. Now, that is a transition point in Acts chapter 2. It's really a transition point in the entire Bible. The gospel has taken place, the salvation, the apex of God's work and ministry looked forward to in the Old Testament uh, has taken place, and now something has transitioned. And Acts chapter 13 gives us a whole different orientation. Because from this point on in Acts chapter 13, the gospel, or excuse me, the book of Acts is focused westward. I might even say specifically westward toward Europe. I've given you some maps, some charts, some graphs on the Facebook side of the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. I would encourage you to go there and look at some of those as you will gain some insight and understanding on some of the things we're about to talk about. One of those maps is the four missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. Paul did exactly what the Holy Spirit told him to do, he and Barnabas. They set out. They took off. But they always went west. Uh, they went west toward Turkey, ultimately ending up in Greece, 
Bulgaria, which would be Asia Minor. Uh, they go to Rome and perhaps even as far as the end of the Mediterranean Sea to the country of Spain. Paul says twice that his intention is, go is to go to Spain, whether he ever made it there or not, we don't know. But why the Western thrust? Now, there were other gospels, or excuse me, other uh, evangelists, other missionaries that went out. And we read about them, but we don't read about them in the Bible. We simply read about them in history. For example, uh, we know that uh, Thomas, one of the disciples, the doubter, if you remember him as such, uh, but he really didn't doubt. He was just a pragmatist. He just really wanted to know. And, and he was so convinced that he went to India with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Andrew probably ended up in Russia. Others went to what we would now know as Iran and Iraq, Persia back then. Uh, there's a good tradition that Matthew went down to Ethiopia, down in Africa. Why don't we hear about any of those people in the book of Acts? Why this westward thru uh, thrust and why only the Apostle Paul is focused on from Acts chapter 13 on? Why no reference or recorded uh, stories about any of the other disciples and their missionaries? Well, I want to give you a prophecy that might explain this purpose, or at least uh, give you some insight. As the, gospels went, uh, as the gospel went out through so many different disciples, in fact, uh, if I could backtrack for a second, at Pentecost, there are mentioned 15 different people groups in Acts chapter 2 that received the Holy Spirit, that heard what took place, that heard the gospel as well as saw the tongues of fire and experienced that Pentecost day. And they all went back, 15 different nationalities or ethnicities, carrying this gospel throughout the world. So it was on, folks. The gospel is being spread throughout the entire world from Acts chapter uh, 2 on. But in Acts chapter 13, Paul is called and he sent west, west. Go west, young man. Why might that be? Well, I'm going to give you a supposal. Uh, take this with some grains of salt, if you will. But I'm going to take you back to uh, a prophecy that was uttered by Noah in Genesis 9, 27. As he's, it's after the flood. There's Ham, Shem, and Japheth, he's th his three children. And there's an incident that's taken place. You can read about it sometime if you want. But he utters some prophecies, some prophetic words about his three children. I want to zero in on the one that is uttered toward Japheth. And here's the prophecy in Genesis 9.27. Simply says this, May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. The prophecy from Noah, I believe spirit birth, uh, is this concerning Japheth. The, the tents of Japheth are going to be expanded, and Japheth is going to live in the tents of Shem. Now, what does that mean? Now, I'm going to give you a little interpretation. Again, take this with some grains of salt. Uh, I borrowed this from some other people, Ray Stedman and a few other uh, people that I've read through the decades, but it makes some sense to me. So let me ask you a question. Who have been the world explorers? If we talk about uh, Magellan, or Christopher Columbus, Vasco da Gama. I mean, pick your explorer that went out, that sailed a ship, that went around the world, Magellan being the first one to actually circumnavigate the world. Uh, of what tribe or ethnicity were they? They were of the tribe and ethnicity of Japheth. Now, this is not a racial thing or even an ethnicity 
type of thing. But if I find it very interesting, the second part of this prophecy, may Japheth live in the tents of Shem. Well, Jesus was Shemitic. He was a Jew. If you say someone is anti-Semitic, you're saying basically they're anti-Shem, or in this case, anti-Jewish. Uh, the Jews, in a sense, rejected Jesus, at least as a group, as a country. Uh, and the gospel is taken to a people who are receptive to it, to Japheth, to Europe. I don't want to say to the Caucasians, because it wasn't certainly all Caucasians. These were Jews that were spreading the gospel to, uh, to the, the children of Japheth. But it is Japheth that has embraced the gospel more than anybody else and has taken it as an ethnicity around the world. Japheth, in a sense, lives in the tents of Shem. We have embraced the Judeo-Christian ethos. We have begun, and I say we because I'm from Japheth, uh, Japheth has uh, created what we now know as Western society or Western civilization. Europe is Japheth. The United States, at least the Europeans that came over, were from Japheth. And the gospel is spread throughout the world, basically on the ships and the feet and even the cars and now the planes of Japheth. Now that may be changing, but that has been the case for the last 2,000 years. I think that explains why from Acts chapter 13 on, all we read about is Paul heading toward Europe. Because he is fulfilling what Noah said would take place concerning the last days as Japheth lives in the tents of Shem. Okay, uh, take that again with some grains of salt, uh, accept it or not. But let's go on to, as we're looking at some key concepts here, uh, we've talked about uh, Luke and him being the author. Uh, we've talked about the fact that uh, the gospel from Acts 13 on has gone basically to Europe, has gone westward, and perhaps a reason for that. <clears throat> so let, let's uh, begin to talk about some of the players in the book of Acts, because there are many. All kinds of people come into the book. Some of them for a fleeting moment. Some of them uh, stay for a while. I'm not going to go into all of these players, so to speak, but I want to make mention of some of them. Uh, that would be, for example, Simon Peter's there and up until Acts chapter 13. Uh, it's all about Simon Peter pretty well. There's James and John, John the disciple, who has talked about some. James, who ultimately uh, ministers for a little while and is, then is killed, the first one of the 12 uh, disciples to be martyred. Then there's James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother, if you will, who is one of the elders of the early church. We read about him in the book of Acts. There's John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, who travels with the Apostle Paul on some of his missionary journeys. Of course, there's Barnabas, who is the one responsible for getting Paul, bringing him to the church, introducing him to them, and ultimately helping to launch his ministry as God used Barnabas in that way. There's even Herod Agrippa, one of the Herods, his great-grandfather, you might remember, excuse me, his grandfather, not his great-grandfather, Herod's grandfather was the one who killed the children in Bethlehem. And yet we hear Paul in the book of Acts preaching to King Agrippa and to quote the King James Version that I've often heard in sermons, almost thou persuadeth me to become a Christian. That was from the mouth of Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great, who hated or at least uh, came against Jesus 
uh, there in Bethlehem. And now we have his grandson at least entertaining the thought of becoming a believer. Uh, and of course, so there's a lot of players in the book of Acts, but of course, the main player from Acts 13 on is the Apostle Paul, one-fourth of the New Testament written through the Apostle Paul. He is the uh, man that God said, in fact, I'll read the verse to you out of Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Uh, this is what it was said of Paul. God said this to Ananias. He said, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. So as we're trying, seeking to put the pieces of the book of Acts together, particularly from Acts 13 on, we need to understand that Paul is such a key. He is God's chosen vessel. And the vessel that, uh, that Paul was, was to go west to Europe to spread the gospel to Japheth in the recorded book of Acts. Again, we have the gospel going all over the world. So uh, it's not that it was just favored among one people. It was all over, from India to Africa to Asia, uh, ultimately across to North and South America. But it all begins in the book of Acts, and Paul is such a key player. So we might also ask the question, why is it so important to spread the gospel? Well, the easy answer is that people need to hear about Jesus. They need to know that there is a cross that, that paid the price for their sins. And that's a personal relief. I've seen that taking place in my travels in, in places around the world. I've read about it in so many books about missionaries that when someone uh, in another culture understands the concept of the cross and unmerited favor and forgiveness of sins without any cost to us, without having to kill something or make offerings or some kind of sacrifices or all sorts of gyrations trying to please some God that we don't know and when we're introduced to him, and we hear the story, it is liberating at a personal, at a soul level. But I would also remind you that the gospel is liberating at a cultural level. I would say to you that the gospel has truly, as, as we speak about the Western world, the Christianized world, if you will, the gospel has literally liberated the world. It's given value to all men and women great and small, of any culture, of any race, of any ethnicity. It has liberated societies. It has liberated uh, individuals and cultures and, and villages when they find out about this gospel and the ways of the gospel. Not only that, it has civilized mankind. We experience in Western society a very civilized society, at least we have perhaps up until now. Uh, there's some gyrations that may make that a little questionable, but, but the civilization that we've experienced and the blessings and the prosperity thereof come from the gospel and a way of life presented by Jesus carried through the book of Acts to us literally today. The gospel also humanizes us. If I could use the word, it makes us more humane. It awakens compassion in our hearts. It, it awakens value for every single individual that uh, lives. So we don't see these systems like we had in Rome and Greece where there were, there were free people if you were a Roman or a Grecian, but if not, you were just a servant or a slave. Slavery's been going on since the beginning of time, my friend. It has no color. It's all about uh, the reality that some people think they're better than others. Jesus broke through all of that. We're all sinners. We all need a Savior when people understand that. 
It is truly liberating. It makes societies humane. I'm going to brag on the United States if I can. I think it's true. I think history provides it. But look at when the, the tsunamis happen or, or horrendous cataclysmic events. Who's the first one to rush in with goods, with compassion, with water, with food, with medical care? There are a lot of cultures and countries, it's not just the United States, but that is motivated by a Western ethos, if you will, or let me say it a different way, it's motivated by a Christian worldview. And that's what the book of Acts does. It took the Christ worldview to Western society, and even to this very moment, that worldview has made this planet a better place to live. That's why the gospel is so important to share, not just at a personal level, but even at a cultural level. Hope that made some sense. We're going to end out uh, our journey today just by talking about how the book of Acts ends. It ends very abruptly, very oddly, if you will. You wouldn't write a novel and end it this way because there is no end in a sense. Acts 29, the Bible, the, the book of Acts has 28 chapters today, but we are living in Acts chapter 29. The book of Acts is still being written right before our very eyes, I believe. Uh, and so you might ask, well, when will the final chapter be? When will the book of Acts be complete? Well, I'm going to offer a suggestion, and this comes from one, myself, who holds a pre-tribulation sort of view of the world. Uh, that includes a rapture of the church or a removal of the church from the planet. The book of Acts is all about the church. But I do believe, from my perspective, again, as a uh, pre-tribulation, uh, one who believes in a rapture or removal of the church, I believe the day will come when the church will be removed from the planet Earth. The focus will again turn back to the Jews which I think is what the book of Revelation is all about. I'm getting into some theology now. I don't want to do all that. But I simply want to say that the book of Acts ends with no end in sight because it's continuing on to this very day. Someday there may come an end, and that end, I believe, will be when the church is no longer extant on planet Earth, but it has been taken home. So I look forward to that day. I just encourage you to investigate, see what your theology brings you to. But the book of Acts is an incredible book. It's about the church. It records the birthing of the church and the spreading of the church to this very day. I hope this has helped you understand just a little bit concerning the book of Acts. So look forward to uh, seeing you next week. I really encourage you to uh, open, if you have Facebook, to go there, to look at, uh, just type in the number two and four, and then uh, minute, 24-minute Bible podcast. You'll find my Facebook page. There'll be some helpful charts and graphs that will uh, come alongside what I've shared today and help you more fully understand uh, the setup, the plan of the book of Acts as we move forward to finishing out the New Testament here in this year. Thank you for being a part. Hope you have a great day. Look forward to seeing you next week on the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to our channel. And if you would be so kind, share it with your friends who might enjoy it. We would also love it if you would leave us a review. It really does help us. Join us next week for another episode as we work our way through the Bible book by book. Have a blessed week.